1: So My name is Erwin, and it's always a privilege to be able to share God's word and God's work in my life so that I can testify to God's goodness and faithfulness. Now, let me start by introducing my family. This is one of those rare photos where five of us are looking into the camera at the same time and trying to smile. So the girl in the middle is Zoe. She's eight years old this year. And uh, Aaron, the one that I'm holding, is turning five at the end of the year. And that noisy little terror is uh, Noah. He's turning two in a few months' time. Yeah, so if you hear later papa papa or wapuya wapuya, it's probably him. Uh, And the one carrying him is of course my lovely wife Ingjie, whom till today I still have no idea how she manages our household with such skill, grace, and love. Our sermon topic today is our minds in God's hands. And let me start by asking us to think of one day in your week last week just any day, a typical, normal day from last week. And think about where do you spend most of that day in? Was it in the office? Or was it at home? Or was it in school or in the army camp? Actually, most of us would have spent that day in the same place, here, in our minds. According to a recent research study, using brain imaging technology that tracks our thought patterns, it was discovered that we have an average of Now get ready for this, an average of 6,000 thoughts in a single day. 6,000 thoughts in one day. In fact, it is so difficult not to think that if I were to ask you right now to not think, you would think exactly how to do that. And because so much of our lives are spent in our minds, it is so apt this morning to understand what it means to place our minds in God's hands. Now, there are many aspects of our minds that we can speak about, such as our worldviews, our intellect, our logical reasoning, or we can look into, for example, what Romans 12 tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, or even the biblical worldviews and paradigms that we are asked to embrace as followers of Christ. But this morning, I want to just focus on one aspect of our mental lives, and this is becoming increasingly important in our world today, and that is our mental health and mental well-being. In a study that was spearheaded by the Institute of Mental Health, it was discovered that one in seven Singaporeans have experienced mental distress in their lifetimes. And this number jumps to one in three when it comes to young people aged 11 to 18, according to a more recent study published by NUS in April this year. Even more worryingly, only 10% of parents were able to detect symptoms of mental distress among their children. And two weeks ago, the Samaritans of Singapore, SOS, reported that last year in Singapore, we had the highest rate of suicides in more than 20 years. Now, of course, the causes of suicide are complex and multidimensional. But this report stated that the heartbreaking increase in suicides in Singapore paints a picture of the unseen mental distress that is permeating our society today. So this morning, it is my desire to share with us that our minds, just like all aspects of our lives, need to be placed in God's hands. For the first half of my sermon, I'll be sharing the reality of suffering that our minds can undergo. And in the second half of my sermon, I'll share with us the certainty of hope that we can experience if this happens. The reality of suffering, the certainty of hope. But first, let us pray. Father God, this morning I ask for your Spirit to be with us as we look into your Word and understand what it means to place our minds in your hands. Speak not just intellectually to our minds, but speak deeply to our hearts and our spirits to let us know that while suffering is real, hope is certain and far greater. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, for our sermon this morning, I've chosen the scriptural passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. So if you have your Bibles with me, can you turn to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to verse 10? And in a while's time, I would like us to read these four verses that will be fleshed out on the screen together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 10. Okay, so let us read these verses on the screen together. may also be manifested in our bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Now the original context of this passage was the Apostle Paul speaking of his many trials and challenges that he faced in his ministry. And later on in this same book in 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks of this thorn in his flesh that he asked God to remove many times, but God chose not to remove it. And we do not know exactly what this thorn in the flesh refers to, but commentators have surmised that it could be mental afflictions as well that Paul suffered in addition to physical sufferings and ailments. So this morning, to understand the first part of our sermon on the reality of suffering that our minds can go through, let us go back to the first verse in verse 7 where Paul speaks of these jars of clay. Now, the imagery of clay is a very common metaphor used in the Bible and in the ancient world to represent human frailty, human weakness and human vulnerability. These are some other parts of the Bible that speaks of this. For example, in Isaiah 30, 14, it says, you will be shattered like a clay pot, so badly broken that there's no piece big enough to pick up hot coals with or to dip water from a cistern. Or in Job 10, 9, it says, remember that you have made me like clay and will you return me to the dust? And if you have been following our pulpit series this year in the book of Daniel, you remember that in Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of a huge statue. His head was made of gold, his chest made of silver, his torso made of bronze, and the feet were made of partly iron, partly clay. And the clay symbolizes the brittleness of that kingdom. You know, I have this beautiful clay jar here with me, and uh, it is handmade by a friend who's a professional clay artist. I'll probably put this clay jar on a nice spot in my bookshelf at home, but in the past, Clay just like this were so common. They'd probably be chucked in some corner in the kitchen floor because they were used to contain all kinds of sundry items like flour or oil. And very, very common. A little bit like, you know, the plastic bags that we get from supermarkets. Oh, yeah, by the way, remember to pay your five cents or ten cents, uh, starting from this month. Or the styrofoam boxes that we use to tap out food at a hawker center. And not only were clay just like this common they were also very fragile and easily broken. And to draw this link between clay jars and our human condition, Paul uses four words in verses 8 and 9 to represent this. And these four words are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. I must admit that when I was younger and I came across this passage, these four words didn't stand out for me. Words like afflicted, persecuted, thankfully didn't feature much in my childhood Or even early adult life. I was very blessed to grow up in a close and loving family, and my childhood was relatively happy and carefree. And I liked to read, I I liked to study, so I was your typical nerdy, bookish kind of guy, you know, not very sporty, not very sociable, and certainly very boring. And uh, after my A levels, I was very thankful to receive a scholarship to go overseas to study, and when I came back, uh, I served up my scholarship born teaching in a junior college. And at the time, it was really the life I had imagined the dream career path, the stable path. But one day, in the year 2006, this stable and predictable and safe life came to a sudden and abrupt end. I still remember it was a Thursday afternoon and I was teaching one of my afternoon tutorial classes in school and towards the end of the lesson, I just felt this wave of sadness, heaviness and darkness weigh down on me. And it came out of nowhere. And I knew that um, after the lesson, I I had to rush back to the staff room and I knew that I had to leave the school premises immediately. Thankfully, that was the last class of the day I could leave the school and as I was driving home that day, I remember tears just streaming down my cheeks. You must remember that 17 years ago, mental health and mental issues were not as talked about as today. And I myself have not heard of the condition called depression before in my life. But from that day onwards, depression became a part of my reality. And these four words were no longer theoretical or hypothetical words, but they became lived realities for me. The first word that Paul uses is the word afflicted, and in the Greek is the word klebo, and it means to be pressed in a very hard and compressed way, just like how they will press grapes to make wine. And I often describe my depression as a heavy fog that descends upon my being, that, that presses so hard on my being that it is suffocating and, 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 and it's hard to see past the darkness because it blocks out all the light. In my depression, the feeling of or being pressed was very real and palpable. The second word that Paul uses in these verses is the word perplex and the Greek word, which means to be confused, to be at a loss, to be in doubt. And you know, at so many times in my depression, I doubted. I was confused. I asked basic questions about my life, about myself, and I question even my Christian faith. I wonder if God is real, and if He is real, I ask myself, does He care about my suffering? The next word that Paul uses is the word persecuted, and it's the Greek word dioko. Now, um, it's often translated as persecuted, but it could also be translated as being made to flee, to run away, to put to flight. And at times, when I go through my depression in the past, I really wanted to run away. To run away not just from my suffering or my condition, but to run away from myself. I look in the bathroom mirror in the morning and I wonder where did my old life go to? And it's almost as if the the train of your life is suddenly just derailed and there's no way to put it back on track. You just feel so trapped, so stuck, and you just want to run away. Finally, the fourth word that Paul uses is the word katabalo, which means to be struck down. And in the Greek, it means to be flung to a lower place. And indeed, I find myself reciting the verses from the Psalms that speaks of how our souls can be so cast down. Like for example, the psalmist in Psalm 42, where he cries out, "'Oh my soul, why are you so cast down?' And I find myself praying like the psalmist did in Psalm 61, where he asked God to lead me to the rock that is higher than I, because I felt so low, literally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. You know, earlier on, I shared some mental health statistics in Singapore, But this phenomenon is not just happening out there in society. It's also happening within the church. The reality of suffering touches us all. In a Christian mental health conference that was just held last week, it was revealed in the Christian mental health survey 2023 that although 65% of people felt that the church is a safe place to talk about mental issues today, only 38% felt that they were equipped to help someone who is going through mental suffering, 38%. And a vast majority, about 82%, said that they wish that the church could do more to equip us to help someone going through mental distress. So let me end this first part of my sermon by sharing some application, which I hope will be helpful to some of us here, especially to two groups. First of all, to those who are suffering, and secondly, to those who are caring. Firstly, let me speak to those of us who are suffering, afflictions of the mind. Your condition may not be depression like myself, but it could be any unhealthy or negative mental thoughts or mental habits or just anything that causes your mind to feel stress and mental pain. And the first thing I'd like us to know is, you are not alone. You are not alone. Fellow sufferers, in the midst of the darkness and the confusion, It is so tempting to think that nobody understands what you are going through. Nobody has ever walked through what you have experienced. And I often felt that myself. But let me reassure you that others like myself have walked through what Charles Spurgeon calls the howling desert and the freezing winter of the mind. Charles Spurgeon, as some of you know, was a very gifted Baptist preacher in the 19th century in London. And he himself battled crippling depression throughout his whole life and he often preached and wrote about it I myself am still wrestling and living with depression up to this day you are not alone so let me lovingly encourage us to speak to someone about what you are going through and to seek help, even medical help if you need to, just as you would see a doctor if you are suffering from a physical condition there is no shame in asking for help for we are all jars of clay Secondly, let me speak to those of us who will be caring for a loved one close to you who is going through mental anguish. Often, you may not understand fully the mental suffering that the person is going through. And the truth is, sometimes you never will. And it's okay. It's okay. And sometimes you may feel helpless, that whatever you're doing doesn't seem to help this person that you love, Get out of the mental anguish and you feel like giving up. But don't give up. Don't despair. Know that what you do does help. You may not feel the effects of the help straight away, but it does help. And I often tell my wife, in tears that it is often enough just for her to be present, to hold that emotional space for me and to weep as I weep. So keep being there, hold that person's hand, sit with that person's pain and pray, sometimes aloud, sometimes silently, but utter those precious prayers on our behalf at times when we can't do so ourselves. And ultimately, for those of us who are going through mental suffering, it is to acknowledge that our pain is real, And oftentimes, what we often need is just to see ourselves reflected in the eyes of those who love us. Let me repeat that if it's helpful. Oftentimes, what we truly need is just to see ourselves reflected in the eyes of those who love us. We want to be seen, to be known, to be loved. To be seen, to be known, to be loved. But thankfully, while the verses this morning show us the reality of suffering, they do not end there. They show us, more importantly, of the certainty of hope that we can experience when we choose to place our minds in God's hands. So let's look at the verses again in verses 8 and 9, where Paul speaks of one phrase that is repeated four times. After the four words of suffering that he uses, one phrase is repeated four times, and that is the phrase, but not. But not, but not, but not, but not. And these two words reassure us that while suffering is real, They are not the final word. That while the four words, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, are real, what is more certain is hope in God's promises. And you know, when you go through mental suffering, these two words, but not, speak to a very important truth. Because oftentimes our thoughts and our feelings are real, but not true. They are real, but not always true. What do I mean? They are real in the sense that you can't deny that you experience them in your everyday life, but they are not always true because they are not based on absolute truths that don't change no matter what we feel or what we go through. And oftentimes, when you are in a state of mental pain, your thoughts and feelings can be distorted and even deceptive. So if we cannot base our truths upon our thoughts and our emotions, which are changing and capricious, then what do we base our truths on? we need to base our truths on something far deeper than ourselves. It's a little bit like the anchor of a boat. You know, you cannot just put it in the water and hope that it will keep you safe because it might just be tossed along with the changing currents and the moving waves. You need to drive the anchor deeper into the seabed to keep it fixed. So what is this seabed? The seabed is the foundation of who God is and His character. The seabed is the truth that God is love and he will never leave us nor forsake us. The seabed is God's promise that he will never lead us to a place where his grace cannot keep us. The promise that his will will not lead us to a place where his grace cannot keep us. And you know, I'm so thankful that our security, the certainty of God's promise, is not based on what I feel or what I think, but is based entirely on who He is and what He has promised so that we grow and learn to know that it is His character and His promises, not suffering, nor affliction, nor depression, nor pain, that are the fixed anchors that will hold us firm in the storm, especially when the winds and waves are turbulent. So for the first part of what it means to place our minds in God's hands is really to anchor our thoughts and our emotions on Him his promises, his character. Because through my depression, I have learned what it means, not in a very theoretical or cerebral way, but in a very real and personal way. What Moses means when he proclaimed in Deuteronomy 33:27 27, that the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Eternal God, everlasting arms that do not change, that no matter how deep how far, how low we fall, His arms are there to catch us. Through my depression, I've come to anchor my life on the promise given in John 10, 28, where God says to us, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. But you know, it is not just the certainty of God's promises that will keep us safe in times of suffering. It is also the certainty of God's purposes that will help us make sense of what we go through. Now let us look at verse 7 and verse 10 and we see that there are two phrases here that will show us what the purposes of God may be when we go through trials. In verse 7, the phrase is to show and in verse 10, the phrase is so that. To show that and so that. And these two are purpose statements because these two words remind us that the purposes of God when we go through suffering are first to show the surpassing power of God through our lives and to show the life of Jesus in us, that God's purposes work through us and in us. You know, up to this day, I still have no idea what triggered the depression some 17 years ago. In the early stages, my psychiatrist will walk me through the process and ask the standard questions. Are you stressed? Are you burnout? Are you fatigued? You know, is everything going well in your life? And truth to be told, everything was going fine at that point of time. My work, my family, my health, my relationships. But over the years, I've learned that maybe God allowed there to be no one single reason or trigger for what might go through so that I know that because as a good Singaporean, if there was one thing I could fix, you know what I would do? I would try to fix it. But because there was nothing to fix, I had no choice but to fix my eyes on God. And that has proven far more valuable and far more precious in my life. I've come to learn that sometimes in our trials and suffering, God brings us to the end of ourselves, to the end of our resources, where there's nothing left to fix. And we learn to fix our eyes on Him, His character, His promises, His purposes. Earlier in this book, 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 4, Paul speaks of the God who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I know that God's purposes work not just in me, but through me. And while I do not know exactly the full purpose of my suffering, I know that standing here this day, preaching His Word and the work of His hands in my life, in my broken and redeemed life, must be a part of that picture. Standing here today must be a part of that purpose. In his wonderful book entitled The Wounded Healer, the writer and theologian Henry Nolan says, the main question is not how can we hide our wounds so that we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others so that when our wounds cease, to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. So this morning, if this message brings us some degree of comfort, some degree of hope, I can testify that God's purposes and His surpassing power belongs to Him and not to us. Finally, let me end my sermon today with where I started, this jar of clay. You know, in verse 7, Paul speaks of this treasure that we have in jars of clay. So what exactly is this treasure? And Bible scholars are divided about what it refers to exactly, while some say that it could refer to the message of the gospel, others say that it is the glory of God. But I believe that whatever this treasure represents, it is pointing us not just to the promises of God, not just to the purposes of God, but it's pointing us to the very person of God himself who is Jesus. Indeed, when our minds go through distress and suffering and pain, our certainty of hope lies not just in the idea or the notion of hope that's abstract, but it lies in the very person of hope himself who is Jesus. This clay jar is precious to me, not because of the material that is made. As we saw earlier, clay is cheap, is worthless, is brittle. But it is precious to me because of the person who made it. And similarly, we are clay jars, but we are precious not because of what we are made of, but because of who made us. And we have certainty of hope when we go through suffering because we are precious to him who has created us. And he says in Isaiah 43 verse 4, that you are precious in my sight and honoured, and I love you. But you know, God's love to us extends far beyond that. He doesn't just create us and make us precious in His sight. He gave His life for us, and He poured out His life into our lives by becoming a jar of clay Himself. He Himself took on human form and came to us as a helpless baby, choosing to be broken, to be weak, to be vulnerable, just like you and I. You know, our God is not a distant and aloof deity who looks at our human condition and human suffering and does not care. He chose to step into our suffering and even death on the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus is our ultimate wounded healer because by his wounds, we can be healed. Jesus is our ultimate treasure in a jar of clay because he chose to be weak, to be fragile, to be broken, so that you and I can experience life eternal. Jesus himself is the ultimate embodiment of the two points of our sermon this morning, that while suffering is real, his life, his death, and his resurrection show us that hope is certain and far greater than what we can experience in this life. This is a picture of my daughter Zoe, seven years ago when she just turned one year old and I'm holding on to her hands. But this day, she's eight years old, and I realise that, you know, as we go kai-kai, and I hold her hand, her grip starts to become a bit loose. Uh, She doesn't want to hold my hand so much anymore. Sometimes she lets go of my hand to run around to explore, or sometimes she'll complain that I hold on to her hand too tightly, especially when we cross the road. But I know, and I hope that she knows, that she is kept safe, not because of how tightly How loosely she chooses to hold on to me, but how tightly I hold on to her. I am the Father who keeps her safe. And likewise, when we go through mental suffering, the call to hold on to God can be difficult. The call to hold on to our beliefs about who He is, His promises, His purposes can be sometimes impossible. But you know what? We are kept safe not because of how tightly or loosely we hold on to Him, but how dearly and how surely He holds on to us. Our minds and indeed our entire lives are kept safe because they are placed in the hands of the One who made us, who looks at us and sees us as His precious treasure in jars of clay. Let us pray as I invite the worship team back on stage now. as we bow our heads and close our eyes allow the spirit to speak to us give yourself the space and bring those things that may be troubling you to the feet of Jesus right now bring it to him Jesus we thank you that you chose to be our treasure in jars of clay despite our brokenness and sin. We are thankful that you chose to step into our suffering so that we have a high priest in heaven right now who empathises with all that we go through. Father, I pray firstly for my brothers and sisters who are struggling with different mental afflictions. May they be comforted and experience what it means to place their minds and indeed their whole life into your hands once again. Lord, I also pray for those of us who are caring for our loved ones, who may be going through mental anguish, that you strengthen them and show them not just the reality of suffering but the certainty of hope that is anchored in you. And lastly, I'd like to pray for some of us seated here this morning and you hear this message but you've not yet known or accepted Jesus into your life. Now, you may not be going through a difficult mental situation right now or even caring for someone who does. But we all know that in this present life, nobody escapes pain and suffering. We all are wounded people, whether mentally, emotionally, physically or spiritually. Believing in Jesus doesn't automatically take away all our trials, all our pain and all our afflictions. But while it doesn't take away, it adds. It adds jesus the jesus who says i will never let you go the jesus who says i will always be with you whether you're walking through the howling desert or the freezing winter of the mind the jesus who looks at us and sees you as his precious treasure in jars of clay so if you'd like to know more about what it means to have jesus in your life can I invite you right now to maybe just raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Or even if there's anyone who wishes to experience again afresh what it means to place our minds and our lives in God's hands, you raise your hand so that we can also pray for you. And later on, after the service, if you like prayer, do come forward to the front where there will be other ministers that will pray and minister to us. Right now, can I invite all of us to stand as we end by singing this beautiful response song, He Will Hold Me Fast.
2: This has been said
0: to God this afternoon. Perhaps there's some of us who can relate very much with what uh, Irwin has shared today. He shared very vulnerably to us about this issue concerning mental health. And we're grateful for what he shared. It's a powerful word and a powerful testimony of how God has worked in his life and continues to do so. And perhaps for some of us here, we relate with that. We're reminded that we're not alone in the journey, if that is you. For I too can relate with much, with a lot, with what Erwin has shared. I'd like us to sing the verse, the chorus of this song one more time as our prayer. To affirm that God will hold us fast because our Saviour loves us so, He will hold us fast. And if some of us are really journeying, through a mental health challenge, I encourage us to sing this as our prayer to affirm that He will hold us fast. He will. Hold- you, God, that while we may be jars of clay, you will hold us fast. For those of us who face that challenge in relation to mental health, we thank you that we are reminded today that we're not alone. Help us to know that, God, you are present Help us, Lord, to place our minds in your hands, to anchor our minds upon your promises, to turn to your word. Lord, when we feel that we've come to the end of ourselves, give us the strength to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, to look to your word. But we thank you, Lord, that we have this treasure. It is your promises and your purposes. But even more importantly, we have the very person of Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us. Thank you that you are our ultimate wounded healer and our ultimate treasure. Let's lift our hands to the Lord as i read the benediction from second corinthians chapter 4 that but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to god and not to us we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted But not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies and in our minds. Thank you, Lord, that we are found in your grip, in your hands. We are your precious treasure. For you are our ultimate wounded healer and our ultimate treasure. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of us are together. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead